Not guilty, not guilty, ten Charles times. Charles Manson, described today by the star witness Jury again. The so-called Night Stalker case reached its verdict today. Orenthal James Simpson, not guilty of the crime the of murder. The woman suspected of shooting Selena is still holding police at the Music bay. producer Phil Spector was convicted In Monday. In Los Angeles, a killer the police are calling the Hillside Strangler. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. Welcome back to LA Legal, where we talk about the juiciest and the most dramatic cases and situations in Hollywood. I'm Liana, and this is Nima Romani. You know, I just realized that every time I do an introduction, I always say I'm Liana, and you get a full like Nima Romani. I don't know. It's part of my persona. I I don't know. I'm like Madonna. Oh, you or like Moses? Maybe you'll be like Prince. You just need a symbol soon. Like, but there's another name at the firm, so maybe that's the reason. And there's only no. I've always said ne- I don't know. I just I feel like it just rolls off Nima Romani. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Well, I'm Liana Kachatrian, but maybe it's because mine's too long. But <laughs> yeah. I'm Liana. This is Nima Romani, and today we're talking about Michael Jackson. Yes. So I have all sorts of feelings about today's segment because I love. Michael Jackson. People love Michael Jackson. I mean, they still, he's one of the most, if not the most beloved entertainers of our generation. But there's obviously so much going on with him. We're going to obviously dive into the criminal case, but there's also civil litigation. There's leaving Neverland. It's like a new documentary. There's a lot happening with him. He's like another Tupac, man. He keeps (laughs) producing from the other side. I got to ask you, though, before we dive into the legal stuff. Forget the, the the civil attorney, the former federal prosecutor, you, Nima Romani, as a person. Do we like MJ? Look, before, it was actually interesting. Uh, I was out this past weekend, and I was out in Hollywood, and they played, like, a deep house mix of, like, an old Jackson 5 song, yeah. ABC and stuff. And I looked at my buddy, who's also a lawyer, and I'm like, should we? I mean, we like the song, <laughs> but, like, it triggers all these sort of, like, bad memories of the later Michael Jackson. Should we really be parting to this or not? Like, there's at least a lot of alleged victims here. So I'm really conflicted about Michael Jackson. Obviously, we grew up um, in the 80s. I remember Disneyland, Captain EO, one of my favorite attractions. But the more recent Michael, not so much. Yeah, this is one of those topics. And you know me well. I, I usually have an opinion one way or another. This is one of those where I'm like, I don't know how I feel. You know, I love MJ. But let's get into it. So Michael Jackson needs no introduction. But in case you or anybody else has been living under a rock, he was a cultural phenomenon. He was a singer, dancer, songwriter, and still holds the title of most awarded individual artist in history, which is incredible. His career began at an early age um, as the youngest in the music group made up of him and his four brothers, the Jackson Five. Can we ever forget the ABC song? Of course. At the age of six, Michael was thrusted into the into the limelight. This was damaging. This would be damaging for any child, but especially for Michael due to his physically and emotionally abusive father, Joe Jackson. So I want to put a pin on this because I do want to get back to this fact right here, right? Because sure. I think it's going to come up during during the trial. Michael recalled that even at the age of forty, the thought of his father would make him fi- feel physically ill. He would beat Michael with anything within arm's reach and excuse it as pushing Michael to become the biggest star in the world. As a solo artist, Michael was able to reach even greater heights with a legendary music catalog. His album, Thriller, became the best-selling album of all time. 
But being the biggest pop star in the world came with controversy. He became ridiculed by the press for his constant change in appearance, his strange public behavior, and eventually his alleged sexual abuse of children. Yeah, let's get to it, right? Let's do it. So I think in order to talk about the 2005 trial, we need to kind of dial it back to 1993, allegations, the settlement, and then we can spin We got to talk about it. I mean, Jordan Chandler, right? 1993, when it all started, he, of course, was the first Jackson victim to come forward. He filed a civil lawsuit. It was settled. We're going to talk about that settlement and how it played into the 2005 criminal trial, obviously, probably maybe right after OJ, trial of the century. But that 93 case is really what sort of got everything rolling. And really, we're talking about Santa Barbara County, where Neverland Ranch was, and the district attorney, who was a district attorney in 93, district attorney in 2005. He was, I think he served five terms, Tom Sneddon. And he actually presented Chandler's case to the grand jury twice. Grand jury rejected it, didn't come back with an indictment. So a couple things I want to talk about is, obviously, there was a lot of discussion about the Santa Barbara DA having it out for Michael Jackson, right? Wanting to get him in 2005 because he was unable to do so. But we all know as criminal lawyers, you can go to the grand jury if you want to, but you don't have to go to the grand jury in a state case. You can just file a complaint and go to preliminary hearing. So if the DA really wanted to get Michael, why didn't he do so? And then, of course, let's talk about Chandler, right, and his role in the 2005 case. He was supposed to show up as a prosecution witness. He takes off. He's out of the country, emancipates from his parents. So really one of the star witnesses in the case wasn't and a witness at all. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about it, right? Because there's there's a settlement, there's a behind the scenes settlement, this information comes in in the second trial. So walk us through, right, as a prosecutor, what is this piece of information? What is the fact that there was a settlement years before this trial? And, and by years, I mean 2005. What is that? How does that play into your strategy when you're trying to get this guy years later? Yeah, and this is where we can kind of get in the legal weeds a bit. We can add some value. So Michael Jackson argued that he never wanted to settle that 93 case. He did so to really kind of protect his career. And interestingly, he said his insurance company, Transamerica, forced the settlement. So what the judge in the 2005 case, when criminal charges were eventually filed, he allowed the 1993 evidence to come in as a prior bad act. So for the lawyers and law students out there, if you're prosecuting one allegation, you know, involving one victim, you can bring in evidence of other victims to show a common scheme, motive, opportunity. Basically, there's a a subset of types of evidence that come in as prior bad acts. So the judge said, you can bring in the 93 allegations as a prior bad act, but you cannot talk about the settlement. It was a civil settlement. There was no admission of guilt and for insurance reasons and so forth. So the allegations came in, but the fact that it was settled did not. And that's the line the judge drew. And I think it was the right one. But it's still highly prejudicial, don't you think so? Well, look, I mean, this is what judges do. They got to weigh the prejudice to the probative value. And I can tell you in criminal cases, when it comes to sexual assault, that prosecutor sexual assault case, what you want to do as a prosecutor especially when you have questionable victims 
and respectfully, we had really questionable victims here. What you want to do is pile on and you bring one victim after another. We've seen it recently done correctly from the prosecution's perspective with Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby, even though it was reversed on technicality, and R. Kelly. A jury may not believe one victim or two, but if you put six, seven, eight victims, it's hard for jurors to reject their testimony entirely. So that's what the DA tried to do here. Obviously, unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully. So let's fast forward to to 2000, um, I believe it's 2004, when they execute a search warrant. Okay. So walk us through the search warrant, right? Because you form a federal prosecutor, you've dealt with this probably hundreds of times, right? So search warrant, scope of search warrant, 70 sheriffs show up, their assistants, they're raiding Neverland, and they're exceeding the scope of their search warrant. Well, yeah, I mean, that's certainly one of the arguments, right, that the DA had it out for Michael. Um, he was using any opportunity to finally get that probable cause, get that grand jury indictment, get a search warrant, right? Which and they did. They got they that did. grand jury Look, day. Neverland Ranch is huge. Look, maybe it was overkill. Um, that's certainly one of the arguments. But ultimately, I believe that this case didn't really come down to the search warrant and the evidence that was seized. It came down to the testimony of the victims, right? There wasn't much in terms of physical evidence, right? This wasn't um, a DNA case or a forensics case, right? This was a case about witness credibility. So I know Michael Jackson argued that, you know, the sheriffs were, they were rough with him and, and they hurt him. I think there was allegations they hurt his shoulder. That was investigated. I don't know if it was true or not. But ultimately, I don't think it made a huge difference in the case because it was going to rise or fall on the witnesses and it fell because of them. But one thing I wanted to say is before 2004, obviously, the reason I think the investigation jump started, and this is sort of a precursor to what we're seeing today, is that documentary. It was 2003, I'm going to make sure I have it correctly, Living with Michael Jackson, mm. right? So we've seen it with R. Kelly, right? All of a sudden, case goes cold. There's a documentary, and lo and behold, DAs, they're political figures. There's a lot of pressure on them to move forward. So I think really that 2003 documentary was the impetus for the search warrant and the subsequent prosecution. And ultimately, that's something that we're seeing now today in cases. Obviously, there's a lot more documentaries today than there of were 20 course. years ago. So would you say this is what kind of started this trend of documentaries and then prosecutors going after? Oh, I think so. I think really this was the one 20 years ago that sort of triggered all this, and we're seeing a lot of this now. Yeah. So just really quickly before we wrap up the search warrant sort of aspect, because I, I kind of want to go chronologically, right? Sure. Search warrant. Uh, whoops. Uh, don't kill me, producer. Yeah. Uh, search warrant, jury selection, and then eventually the trial, right? So when we're talking about the DA potentially having it out for MJ, right? So they, they go to Neverland. They get a bunch of stuff. A huge part of what they confiscated was just this like pornography yeah. and all these magazines and right and so when you're kind of hearing about this and and most people watching may not be lawyers right so they're thinking what was that all about right yeah. so what is that there for so it almost seems like they're really trying to frame him but um, I think that information kind of backfired right because they the DA uh, prosecution sort of painted him as this pedophile and he's into little boys, but there's no sort of hard evidence, right? It was just regular heterosexual porn. and Yeah, and this, is, this is old porn, right? It's before the internet, yeah. right? Now you fire <laughs> so, it up, you got as yeah. much porn as you want. Now you've got Playboy. Yeah, now but now you got, this is back in the day, you have to have a yeah. magazine, you got a, you have a VHS. So, um, 
you know, there was like a porn stash. MJ right. apparently had a big and porn the largest, stash. Yeah. right? At the time, I don't know how big that was, but it, it it made an impact. This is something that that is constantly tossed around when you talk about the search warrant and what they what they took from his home. Well, I think Masro did a good job, and we're going to talk about what he did. And he did a great job framing the case for the media. And a lot of people think the media treated Michael Jackson unfairly. I'm sure we're going to talk about that at length. But he got out there and he, look, he had to admit the porn. He said, listen, this is a case about Michael Jackson basically having these types of, he didn't call it porn. I forgot what he said, but having his adult books and, yeah. you know, making a case out of him having this collection or this library. But because ultimately, I understand what the DA did. The DA wanted to dirty him up because look, it's a circumstantial case, right? You're saying, well, you got this porn, you got kids sleeping in your bed. Therefore, the logical conclusion is that, you know, you're masturbating and you're kind of engaging in these sex acts. I think that was the, obviously, the connection the DA was unable to make, but I understand why they did it. They want to, D dirty up MJ. I understand it, but I don't know if I'm seeing it. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, you've got porn and then you've got kids. Like, I, I'm not really seeing the connection. And to me, that that that's a disconnect with the jury that well, you have. Well, look, now we know now that like a significant percentage of what's on the internet is porn. If people are going to be prosecuted for porn and that's going to be sexual abuse right. or child molestation, then probably problem. half the population is going to be prosecuted. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay, so I'm glad I'm glad we agree about that. Let's fast forward to jury selection, right? Because this is what kind of leads us into the trial and, and what happened. And look, jury selection is probably the most important part of trial, right? Because you're going to have 12 people who are going to determine the fate of who you're prosecuting or your client um, that you're defending. So jury selection and forum and venue. What are your thoughts? Because a lot happened here, right? I mean, we... Uh, attorneys uh, forum shop all the time. Are we going to prosecute? Are we going to defend in this venue, that venue? And so they actually chose, his defense counsel chose to stay within the community, which was not advised. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I know. And this is like I actually one of the few things I disagree with the defense on. I don't know if it's posturing or just kind of a media play, but they said that this is a conservative county mm -hmm. and you know, the fact that they acquitted really shows that, but look, Santa Barbara, I know really well, it's not Orange County, it's not San Diego County. Look, it's more conservative than LA County, but I would much rather be, if I'm a defendant, obviously number one, I'd rather be in LA County if we're talking about Southern California, but they're probably the second best county from my defense perspective, I think is Santa Barbara. It's better than Ventura, it's better than Riverside, it's better than, or certainly better than Orange County in San Diego. So look, I'm sure they wanted to be in L.A., but of all the kind of surrounding counties that it could have gone mm -hmm. to. And look, at the end of the day, MJ is an international celebrity. Yeah. Do you think like people in, you know, exactly. another county, Kern County, have no idea who Michael Jackson is? Moving it is where are you going to go yeah. in the world? Like under a rock, those yeah. people probably even know who yeah. he is. I agree. But I think there's they put such emphasis right when you watch some of the interviews back and, and his defense team really honed in on the fact that we stayed within his community, his home. Why? Because the few times that he actually went out and people saw him, they said he was very friendly. He was one of the nicest you know, celebrities and he was very generous. So maybe it was a good tactic, right? To stay in his hometown and people actually like him, right? I mean- Well, it clearly was, it worked. It so. was, a, I think, but it. do you think it was, um, it, it- Look, sometimes as defense lawyers, you kind of overthink it. You're like, okay, 
change of venue is like a standard defense motion, right? Let's get it out of here. You know, people are really upset, you know, where this happened. There's going to be pressure on them to convict. Otherwise, they the jurors are going to go home. They're going to look at their neighbors. You're going to let you, you let this monster mm-hmm. walk. Um, I just don't think that was really a big deal. Big deal. Okay. For folks in Santa Barbara. Interesting. Because, again, I I want to make this episode about sort of all the things that are circling cool. around on the internet so that everyone watching gets it all in one place. Yeah. So, jury. Yeah. Predominantly women. Uh, some mothers. Oh, and, well, we know. Yeah. <laughs> and so... So for those of you who don't know, right, uh, a lot of times attorneys will bring in a professional who can kind of guide you through selecting a juror, right? And they they put together a profile based on the case and the defendant who would be a good juror for the defense and prosecution. So defense here was advised against putting on women and mothers, right? Because how do you explain to a mother that this happened? But again, that's that conventional wisdom, which is wrong. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think, and again, this isn't your typical rape case where the victim is a female. But a lot of people think, okay, rape case, defendant is a man, victim is a female. You know, if you're the defendant, you know, you're going to want men mm-hmm. on your jury because men are going to protect men. It's actually not the case. Women tend to be harder on women, and especially mothers tend to be harder on mothers because they're thinking, like, I would never let my kid hang out with Michael Jackson in a locked room where I'm away entirely or in another part of the house or in the guest house so i mean and even the interviews of the jurors afterwards a lot of them really kind of question the 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 parents in the case and particularly janet the mother because one she was a bad witness but two they thought she was an unfit mother she was she's like i have a whole section yeah yeah yeah, i got she was fantastic so okay you as a prosecutor say you're prosecuting this case who are you looking for as a juror in this kind of a case Look, what you want are folks that, in a celebrity case, that really don't care about celebrities, Mm -hmm. right? If you have people that think that celebrities can be extorted or taken advantage of or they admire celebrities, that's the worst type of juror that you want. You want people that think that celebrities and the wealthy get away with it. That's ultimately what you want. Again, I don't think this is a case that could have been won. People talk about jury selection, but when, and we're going to talk about the deliberations. I mean, this was lost from the jump. I mean, the prosecution made so many mistakes. I don't think there's anything they could have done to win this case, except not bring it entirely. Wow. Interesting. Again, because the victims were so bad. Victim, you know? yeah. The, the testimony was so bad. Look, I'm not saying it didn't happen, but when you have victims that are that have admitted to lying on the stand, they're not credible. You have disgruntled former employees. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into the details, but really the prosecution completely failed to understand that their witnesses pretty much consisted of two categories. One, former employees who were disgruntled, who had filed lawsuits, who had mm-hmm. stolen, and basically were going to be impeached in every possible way. And victims who had consistently changed their stories, admitted to lying in other cases, participating in fraud, scammers. So, I mean, we'll we'll get into the details, but there's no way that you can... And look, you and I have handled together sexual assault cases. We've gone to the DA. We've sat there. We know. And we tell our clients, do not lie. You lie about this. It has nothing to do with the case. The DA is going to think you're lying about everything. The jurors are going to think you're lying about everything. Do not lie. Still, sometimes our clients lie despite us telling them. It's very frustrating. But you know more than anything. 
Yeah. Once you lie as a victim, the jurors think that it didn't happen at all. And that's what happened here. And that's the thing, right? I mean, it's not to say that these allegations didn't happen, but the job of a prosecutor is to paint one picture and then defense to paint the other. Yeah. And so it's a matter of who does a better job presenting it better. And um, and so I agree with you. I think the entire thing was botched from from the yeah. get go. But let's talk about some of the um, yeah, allegations, yeah, right? Let's get allegations. Mastermind a criminal conspiracy to abduct. Masterminding a criminal conspiracy to abduct children, yeah. falsely imprisoning a family, and uh, intend to commit extortion. Yeah, that's uh, obviously going too far, right? You talk about overcharging a case. You know, it was clear that if you believe that Michael Jackson. Um, was participating in sexual abuse with kids. I get it. But these types of allegations, these additional charges are unnecessary. You're reaching, you're talking, listen, the extortion to try to kind of pay off the family to or threaten the family to kind of recant. But you don't need it. You don't need a false imprisonment. Obviously, they and were coming and going. False imprisonment you know? when there's the logs. Yeah. Like, there's logs of this woman and this family coming in and out. Like, is the prosecution, was it, were they completely blind? Were they not sort of looking at the evidence? Right? Everyone who goes in and out of Neverland has to sign in and out. Listen, how are they prosecuting? Michael are they Jackson, maybe many things, but I don't think anyone thinks he's a kidnapper. Or a know? criminal yeah, mastermind. Yeah. I mean, when I first read these charges and i was like this sounds like some crazy mobster from like yeah. italy or new jersey yeah. like it is not michael jackson yeah. and so another thing for me is maybe that's where they lost a jury right because people are looking at mj and okay again maybe he molested maybe he didn't but he's always been so soft-spoken and like it has a reputation for being so kind and criminal ma conspiracy like what yeah no another big mistake by the prosecution you know again uh, so then we have attempted child molestation, child molestation, and then providing alcohol to minor, specifically a cancer-stricken minor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I would do, I would limit it to the alcohol. I limit it to the molestation charges. You don't need the rest. Doesn't really add anything, uh, in my opinion. Okay. So you would not have brought those. Not at all. But okay. mistake by the DA. Um, I didn't want to talk about Judge Melville and just kind of let everyone know. When Liana and I analyze cases, we like to watch them, right? It can be everything, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, People versus OJ. We want to see the actual trial. In this particular case, Judge Melville did not allow cameras in the courtroom. Banned entirely. There's gag order on the parties, the attorneys. So we are relying on the media accounts. But let's not forget, everyone's trying to break news. The media is running in and out of the courtroom. So our analysis is basically third hand. We're not watching the actual trial. Um, so just kind of something to think about, which makes this case a little bit different. So talk to, our, talk to our viewers a little bit about why a judge would close a courtroom off, right? Because yeah. sometimes they allow it, sometimes they don't. Yeah, this guy's uh, just pretty much in a bad relationship with the media. Um, generally speaking, there is a there's a presumption that our trials in this country are open to the public, right? When there's media interest, that's why I do court TV, I do law and crime almost every day. That's what I do. I cover those trials, Shameless right? Plug. There you go. Um, <laughs> Judge Melville didn't allow it. And instead, it kind of makes more of a media circus because people are trying to get information. Look, if everyone's watching, then you don't have that chaos surrounding the courtroom. So, again, um, we're relying on, I know we've done a lot of research for our podcast, but it's not based on us actually watching, watching the trial the because trial. no one can watch the trial. Right. So, do you think, just one last point on this, do you think it's a good idea to close off trials? No. Not no. at all. I'm a firm believer in open courtrooms and trials in this country. 
Okay. Fair. I agree with you, but it's also because I'm nosy and I love to yeah, watch yeah, them. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the trial itself, right? We have prosecutors who want to bring in this documentary that we just talked about. You know, defense is kind of like, mm, not sure, but then they want to present their own version of this documentary because yeah. it was very one-sided. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so obviously we know the documentary kind of triggered this whole criminal investigation. And, um, you know, the person who was producing this documentary shows up. And really his testimony is that he saw MJ holding hands with one of the victims and admitted to having the victim sleep in his bed. Um, I think that's that wasn't in dispute. Um, I just don't think, again, they didn't get to that next level, that logical leap. You need mm -hmm. testimony and real evidence of masturbation, which we're, which we're going to talk about next. Right. And so what I think was interesting about that documentary also is that Michael Jackson agreed to do it only if he had his own videographer there. So... That's thinking ahead, yeah. right? Because this is after the 1993 allegations, right? So I think his his wheels are turning a little bit where this might be not sure. so much in my best interest. And that's what ended up happening yeah. because the outtakes were very different than what ultimately made it into the documentary. So um, I think, again, this was allowing some of this to come in also allowed the defense to bring in the other side. And I think that was... Look, it's smart. Absolutely. Look, you know, I got a call today for a show to be on and kind of unscripted type show. And I said, listen, like if I'm going to even consider it, I need to see the final product, make sure it's not edited mm -hmm. in a way that's going to basically mm -hmm. misrepresent what I'm talking about. Exactly. Obviously here, we, you know, we do a podcast. We don't really edit this. I mean, Noah does amazing work, but he you know, just makes us beautiful. No, but well, <laughs> but we try to make it real, but he's not going to make it in a way that's like inaccurate. He's not right. going to cut and, mm -hmm. you know, edit things in a way, but you never know people. But documentaries are usually one sided. Like sure. very few times have I seen one where I thought, wow, this is a good illustration of both sides. Usually you get a very one sided view. And so I think this is actually very smart because yeah. this could have been very, very damaging if there sure. was no outtakes. So uh, both of these come in during trial, uh, and then um, so so. What are your thoughts about sort of the defense bringing in the the additional footage? I think it's sort of a fair response, uh, but again, I don't think the documentary. Listen, I get how it sort of triggered things. It's like, oh my god, he's having men sleep in the mm -hmm. bed. But since that was admitted, I don't think it's what we needed right. to get to. You know, so really, really, when the victims started coming forward, I think that's when the case started to move forward. Just, I don't know, random thought. But when we say sleeping in his bed, like we're not talking about like a bunk bed or like a twin size bed. I'm sure Michael Jackson's bed, like have you seen Shaquille O'Neal's bed? I like, think, this I think, thing is I probably think like, like a, his room was like a three bedroom. There's like, multiple bathrooms. It was like bathrooms. a massive, yeah. you know? Yeah, so, like okay, does that change things a little bit, right? Because are we talking like they're snuggling together? You know what I mean? Like how... Let's talk about the parents, right? So what if the parents are like, well, he's sleeping in his bed in his room, but the room is like this massive... I think MJ said he'd sleep on the floor. You know, yeah. again, I don't think the sleeping in the bed got us to where we needed it. I mean, exactly. You know, I think, again, the prosecution, they need to they need to narrow their case. I don't, let's just jump to, the, I think, the first sort of victim who was abused, mm -hmm. right? Uh, this is Jason Francia. I guess the first person the state puts on in terms of a victim, again, bad witness, right? He says he's tickled. Not to say that's appropriate, that's inappropriate. But the mom, you know, gets a $2 million settlement from MJ. What you don't want, and you're talking to civil plaintiff's attorneys, this is what we do all the time. You do not want your victim to file a civil case first because the allegation will be on cross-examination that this is all a money grab. 
what we do, if there's any chance of a criminal prosecution, Liana, you and I know, we do this every day. You got to let the criminal case go first. Otherwise, your victim's going to get torn up on cross-examination. So you got a weak victim, respectfully, in terms of the allegation. Again, not to say that tickling is bad, but, you know, you got one that enters in a civil lawsuit. So, But then he changes. There was, uh, during a deposition, he said something completely different. Oh, yeah, and he sold the story. I'm looking yes. at Entertainment Tonight, hard right. copy. I mean, Entertainment Tonight's still around. But, like, you don't want that from your victim. I mean, look. Sometimes you take your victim as you can, but anyway. Yeah. Um, then let's talk about the Neverland staff, right? Before we get to like the main victims in the case, right? Um, same thing. You got folks who have sold their story to tabloids. People don't like tabloids. That's not what you want, right? They filed wrongful termination lawsuits, which were dismissed. And they actually had to pay attorney fees because they stole money from <laughs> Michael Jackson's house. I mean, these are your witnesses? Come on, district attorney's office. I mean, are you trying to lose this case? You got to know that they're going to get impeached. Their credibility is going to be undermined. You can't rely on witnesses Let's like get this. to the mom. I love her. Let's go. Let's go. Let's you want to know Janet? You want to start I mean, Janet? Janet was a complete disaster. Yeah. You know, everything about, everything she said. The, and, and they brought up defense brought up the fact that she was withholding money from her child's cancer treatments you know yeah, and I'm so she was different yeah she's defrauding the welfare system i mean this is somebody talk about, i got a lot yeah, yeah I got, I got like go. a half page on janet so, so what do you got i mean look she's the mom obviously we know she's a bad mom allegedly at least that's what the jurors thought but right. but like let's talk about the welfare fraud let's talk about the jc penny case let's talk about all the things that probably caused the jurors to believe that she was less than honest at best, at best. so not right scammer at worst. So, yeah, let's talk about it. I mean, again, not to say that she was in completely lying, but when you have a history of lying, you're defrauding the government. You are withholding uh, money for your child's cancer care. It is very hard to look at you and, and sympathize and more importantly, believe anything that you're saying. So terrible witness, witness, in my opinion, should not have been put on the stand. So I'm not even sure why they would. Yeah. So let's kind of let's just go through them. You got Gavin, the main victim, right? Cancer. Um, cancer. The, ca cancer patient, really. Poor kid has cancer. Uh, and then Star, um, his younger brother. The brother. And then Janet, mom. So, you know, they're... They bring out this J.C. Penny lawsuit where they allege that security roughed them up. Um, they settle, but I mean, there's many false statements made during the course of that case, and basically, Janet admits to lying. You know, then Star gets impeached as a younger brother. He admits to lying, right, saying that the parents never fought, but they were in this very abusive relationship, right? And I mean. Obviously. He also lies about what he witnessed, right? In one testimony, he says he saw X, and then they put the brother, and he says, well, no, that never happened. Yeah, so how did you say yeah. very completely different stories? So even if one of them was truthful, you know, the fact that they had conflicting testimony completely obliterated all three of their... Yeah, uh, and then obviously, I mean, there's the Mazaro sort of Perry Mason gotcha moment with the, the, the porno that came out five months mm -hmm. after... Yeah. Star said he last visit never last visited Neverland, but he was sure that he saw this particular piece of pornography. So, I mean, it was a brilliant job by Michael Jackson's defense team to completely undermine the credibility of these witnesses, from Gavin 
to star and but Janet also just they one. did a phenomenal job in my opinion putting on witnesses of their own right you have Eddie Griffin you've got Chris Tucker and Chris Tucker actually was um the last witness that they put on and the reason for that is because they really wanted to finish strong and so Chris Tucker actually knew the family right he knew star he knew Gavin so he testified that this family had nothing but good things to say about MJ there was never I mean he took them to his Las Vegas um, uh, studio set where they were filming for uh, Rush Hour right and so Mm. he has direct knowledge about sort of this family and their opinion, at least, of, of Michael Jackson. And he, I think, was was a great witness for the Yeah, defense. and even if you don't like MJ, you think you have Jay Leno, right? You got George Lopez that are basically saying, this family, they're extortionists, right? Um, they're, they're trying to shake them down. They're basically doing whatever they can to use their children mm-hmm. to make money off celebrities. So um, in addition to kind of the Macaulay Culkin oh. of the world, I know we don't have a lot of time, but there's one person I want to talk about because... Well, two people, really. But uh, Wade Robson, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, because look, let's just bring it forward to leaving Neverland. That's why a lot of people are talking about MJ now. HBO documentary drops. He is one of the victims in the new documentary, but in the 2005 case, he's a defense witness and says he wasn't a star witness. Star witness. He's the star witness, first witness that goes on the stand. He is adamant about the fact that he had a wonderful relationship with MJ. Absolutely no sort of inappropriate behavior whatsoever, right? And I think what makes his testimony so credible, because now he says, well, you know, I was coached and it's it's untrue and I committed perjury. But he, on cross-examination, he did not falter one bit. And we're talking about a child, right? We're not talking about an adult. So to withstand that kind of cross-examination and still adamantly stick to your story, I mean, I don't know, it's a little telling. Yeah, yeah, changing the stories is really bad. And let's not forget, all of us in California legislature they open up the statute of limitations that's been closed saying if you're the victim of childhood sex abuse you can sue now mj's now dead but he and the other victim in finding neverland they sue michael jackson's companies Mm -hmm. court says that you can't do that the companies had nothing to do with the allegations Mm -hmm. of michael jackson so again it's creates the argument this is all a money grab this is all about money you've lied you changed your story you wait until he's gone yeah and of course hbo says they didn't pay him for any but i think from the defense perspective you really kind of walk into that argument i want to talk real quickly about deliberations and i i know we got short period of time but i want to talk about the lawsuit that actually um the jackson estate filed against hbo so um obviously let's let's wrap up 2005 we know what happened it was a full acquittal after seven days of deliberations but it was going to hang at a minimum because the initial vote was nine three in favor of acquittal the prosecution didn't have a chance so finding neverland drops and this is kind of an interesting legal thing since we're lawyers we got to talk about it now because michael jackson is dead he cannot sue for defamation. So it was interesting. It was a smart move. HBO waited, apparently, until they had these victims. They aired the documentary, but they still get sued by the Jackson estate because of a 1992 agreement where HBO covered, I think, one of Jackson's tours, and there was a non-disparagement clause. So this 1992 agreement non-disparagement clause is the basis for a breach of contract lawsuit by the Jackson estate against HBO. That's still working its way through the courts. Obviously, something we're going to be tracking may end up in arbitration, but very interesting kind of legal wrinkle as well. Yeah. 
it'll come back and haunt you. So just to wrap up, because our producer is just like, oh, yeah, you know, so we hear you. Um, but is this a money grab? Is this, in your opinion, opportunism at its finest? Because you've got the richest, the probably best known celebrity on the planet. Is this a money grab? Was this? I don't necessarily think it was, but the victims did not give themselves a chance to succeed because of, of how they handled this case. They mishandled the case. The district attorney's office mishandled the case. Look, we talked about with Amber Heard. Sometimes cases are won, but sometimes they're just lost, right? And in terms of the victims, their mother, the families, the district attorneys, they did not present their best case, so they had no chance of winning. So the allegations may be true, but there's no way they would be able to prove it because they had no credibility in my opinion. I think just to wrap up respectfully, I think some of them were true, but I don't know if all were because it's a possibility. You know, when it, it comes to sex abuse, there's usually no one else there. You know, there's not a so lot of corroborating evidence. So you better make sure that you come correct. Right. And don't lie on the stand. So thank you so much for joining Nima. This was super interesting. I wish we had more time to talk about this more. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Maybe there will be a part two, but thank you guys for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks.